The Revision Speaker Series is a Guildhouse initiative bringing together creative minds from around the globe to discuss contemporary arts practice. Revision has been curated as a COVID response, enhancing connectivity, sustainability and well-being across the arts community. This podcast is an audio recording from a live Zoom session recorded on Ghana Country. I'm Debbie Pryor, the Artistic Program Manager at Guildhouse, and I'm pleased to introduce the second session for today, Growing and Sustaining Community and Collaboration. Chaired by Amber Cronin, artist curators James Tyler, Sim Luton and Claire Needham will join us to discuss the role of community and collaboration within their practice and the changes that they have navigated and the opportunities that those changes have afforded them in the past 18 months. Connectivity and community and visibility have been at the core of many of their considerations, which we're about to hear a little more about today. Sim Luton is a major multitasker, curator and gallery manager at Arts Projects Australia, co-founder of Art Atal, a new inclusive international program and an independent contemporary jeweller. Claire Needham is the co-founder and co-director of Kind and Contemporary Inc, the dynamic force behind the Kind and Contemporary Art Triennial, reinvigorating regional community engagement and curator at the Bendigo Art Gallery. James Tyler is a multidisciplinary visual artist whose work explores Australian environment, culture and history. He works within a collaborative space with Matthew Chung, revealing Australia's real histories with Unmonumental, and with Rebecca Selick exploring the contemporary family experience and Australia's cultural and environmental history. Amber Cronin will share the session. Amber is a creative producer and maker with an interest in audience-focused creative direction. She works across performance, dance and the visual arts with a particular interest in interdisciplinary projects and site-specific publicly engaged practices. Amber is a co-founder of The Mill Adelaide and most recently Nature Festival Arts Curator. Over to you, Amber. Hello everybody and my gosh what an incredibly rich and diverse lineup of practices that we're going to be talking um, to today through this session. Um, before we start, I recognise that I am coming at you live from um, the lands of the Ghana people on land that was never ceded and it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today, the topic of conversation that we're we're sort of circling around is around growing and sustaining community and, and how that's kind of worked and changed and altered in the in the shape of the last few years that we've been living through in what have been very uncertain times and what have been very unpredictable times and how working collaboratively has re-centred a sense of values and paved a way forward for us to work together in getting through this and also how what has been an incredibly globalised pandemic, something that has really has left no one untouched, has created a global sense of understanding that everyone is going through something unprecedented in some ways, but also has really um, forged the importance of locality and, and place and connections and relationships right where you are. So we'll kind of be looking at the push and pull of, of very local thinking and, and maybe more global and bigger thinking through the, the practices of the incredibly rich team of um, artists and curators and um, many other hat-wearing uh, individuals that we'll be speaking to today. Um, I might ask Sim for you to start with a bit about art projects and maybe art at and how 
collaboration has played a part in, in what you've been doing in the last few years in particular, but what you're always up to. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for having me. And I too just want to begin by respectfully acknowledging the land that of the Wurundjeri people on which Arts Project uh, sits and creates and makes art and acknowledge that the land was never ceded. So I am the Curator and Gallery Manager at Arts Project Australia in High Street, Northcote. And up until 2019, started 2020, we were a contained organisation um, sitting in Northcote with a gallery downstairs, studio upstairs, supporting artists with intellectual disability. And it's a very dynamic organisation with a rich history, our 50th anniversaries in a couple of years. So we have supported some of our artists' careers, I guess, up to 30 years or so. So we have a very, uh, we're very well known for what we do in supporting these creative members of the community. And we you know, would have participated in up to 11 exhibitions through our internal program, another 30 exhibitions and other opportunities linking our artists with their peers and organisations within Melbourne, Australia and worldwide. I had, I've been at Arts Project for 13 years and I had felt that we were starting to hit a little bit of a glass ceiling where things were getting kind of hard to push through to that next level and then COVID happened and we it's very well documented how horrible that's been but it has opened up a whole lot of opportunities and for Arts Project you know we went into lockdown very early it was the NGV book fair I remember and we cancelled our last day of events one of our artists thought they had COVID and we closed the doors I think it was March 16 last year probably took us a day to go this would be is possibly really big and we made a commitment to switch everything to digital format as the artist prepared to work from home and so the organization kicked into gear delivering art packs to 160 odd artists if they wanted to and started setting up zoom sessions and interestingly enough within that space when you talk to other supported studios worldwide, which I will do more later on, a lot of the supported studios that support artists with intellectual disabilities pretty much did the same. We weren't talking to each other. We just sort of went into gear. We are doers and want to connect our community back with the organisation and with each other. So, you know, that's what we did. And through a lot of our virtual delivery, we started curating, I think, an exhibition a week online to connect with our audiences and it allowed us to showcase more artists that we perhaps wouldn't have been able to in real life. And it caught the attention of a fabulous arts professional who's working in the UK, Katrina Schwartz, who was formerly with Australia Council, who sort of put a proposition to us to connect our artists with Europe. And instead of just connecting Arts Project, I pitched an idea to partner with a couple of other curators in the UK who I'd met travelling overseas to really raise the profile and voices of artists with intellectual disability from studios across Australia and across the UK with the idea of year after year we could bring more studios on board, 
and, you know, world dominations, you know, on our agenda. And we would like to connect and create a more open and inclusive arts environment worldwide. So we got startup funding for that from a range of sources and started commissioning, writing, commissioning peer-to-peer projects in Australia, in the UK, and it creeps out to Europe next year to Asia and yeah sort of put some structure around an international framework that we can operate in that isn't just about arts project its artists and its community but it's about a community that's much bigger and it's about advocacy really for sort of breaking down those pre-existing paradigms of the way that we work together that separated by distance is no longer a barrier we can do that online and we can just really shake up the way that we collaborate the way that we conduct residencies the way that we talk to each other so we started that and that's been going for what launched in April this year Um, so we're looking for additional funding to keep that going sort of in perpetuity And also Arts Project um, joined Collingwood Yards in Melbourne, the new arts precinct. So we saw this as an opportunity to connect with bigger community of other like, well, I'm going to say like-minded, but they're all, they're like-minded by the values they share, but they're very different in the communities that they're representing through various social enterprises in the precinct, but they're values-driven socially driven organizations that are now pushing us to be a better organization for our artists and to think about things differently think about accessibility inclusivity collaboration and collegiality in a whole other way that's incredibly inspiring and energizing and but at the same time you know it's challenging because it's challenging us and our own sort of perspectives and you know, how can we do things better? So I guess, in a nutshell, three major projects, you know, digital satellite arts project for arts project, the studio where the artists are still practicing, joining Collingwood Yards and opening a whole new gallery in a whole new space, and starting an international platform. As well as your own um, incredibly rich practice. uh, Thank you. (laughs) An individual artist. And I have to say, nothing in the conversation really speaks to that oscillation between the hyper-local studio that is now at Collingwood Yards and then what is like an ever-growing larger and larger community of artists that are able to respond to each other and connect with each other in these ways that has never really been possible before. So it's an extremely exciting proposition, really, and an opportunity that was afforded. And and I think affordances are interesting in terms of the um, pandemic um, I think as some of the artists here, we've had conversations that I can see in the um, in the participants list. Have we've had extensive conversations about affordances that artists have needed through this time and and what they need to practice. And um, among many of them, collaboration is key to a rich practice. And working with existing frameworks or working with other communities or other um, individuals to extend and um, create a rich sort of ground to talk about things that one person maybe can't. And I I was going to throw to you, James, in this respect, um, particularly with Unmonumental and the work you've been doing with um, Matthew, could you sort of explain that to uh, the people in the group and how that collaboration came to be? Yeah, I'll just start by acknowledging that I'm speaking to you from Canberra, which is the lands of the Ngunnawal Ngambri people, and I want to pay my respects to their elders past and present. Yeah, so the project was a bit of a strange one. I've been friends with Matt for some time, never really talked about collaboration or anything major at that point 
And I think it was really spurred by like a set of, I don't know, scenarios, I guess, that, that happened about, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, where the prime minister said there was no slavery in Australia. And for me, like, I'm very aware that there's like multiple scenarios of slavery taking place from like indigenous slavery to convicts as a form of slavery. Then there was like children who were taken away from their families in Malta and the UK and Australian children who were put into foster homes. And then they were essentially became domestic servants that unpaid, you know, former slavery, as well as like blackbirding and stuff like that. And it was kind of a real shock to hear that. And I, at that point in time, I wasn't working because my son was having a heart operation. Um, and there was a lot of like waiting in waiting rooms. I needed to distract myself from what I was currently going through. So it was a nice little outlet to not be thinking about my son who's like verging on dying, needing surgery. And then in his recovery is a lot of just like waiting in wards while your kid's recovering. So Matt posted something maybe a week earlier about the first fleet. And I was like, this could be a really interesting conversation because I'm an artist, but visually a photographer. So I have to go out and source my imagery that I want to use to create an artwork where he's a watercolorist and an illustrator. So he can basically just foster up an idea and, you know, if he can imagine it, he can make it. And so we thought this was a great opportunity. We have similar um, politics. So we basically, I said, well, I know a lot about Australian history. I can fill all the gaps. And by writing about it, if you want to do an illustration for it, we can both just like deliver it on Instagram as a, a shareable post and then like it can be cut up and put on as a story and it can be shared around and then people become, become aware of these like events. And it was still hot, like in the news, people were still like, newspapers were still writing about it and managed to get a post or two out really quickly, like within like an hour, like within about like a day or two. Some posts only take like, three hours, some take days to write. But like, it was a really nice platform because like, I didn't want to write heaps. So you can only have 2,200 characters, which is about just under 300 words. So to summarize like part of Australian history, it was really digestible. People could pretty much get up to speed with something they weren't aware of in a very, very short time. And you have a visual um, component that sort of like draws you in and Matt's works beautiful so like it kind of worked really well we made a decision really early on to not make it like to put our own political views just let the facts speak for themselves so we're just like selecting the facts and curating them um, there isn't too much like inclusion exclusion stuff just a real kind of summary and in one case I chose to exclude something out of the narrative because I didn't feel like it should be in there because it was conflictive but like generally it's just grabbing facts from government websites largely like you know the government actually like a lot of the horrific histories our government acknowledges but not our like um, politicians so it's really kind of interesting thing to write about when you know that your government acknowledges it but your PM doesn't it's kind of a bit jaded you know like so much so like green and gold for the sporting colors during the olympics we all know that that reference is waddle but on the pm's like government website it says it's to do with the golden fields of wheat and the green of the pastures and all of this like wank and then essentially he hijacks histories 
as a conservative politician to be pro-colonial British. And so we kind of just wanted to give people all the facts and from the facts they should make decent judgments about approaching histories or understanding histories. And then, you know, like three posts, I think we had 3000 followers and then we were like, Jesus, this, this is going so quickly. Like, you know, it was at that point in time, like just alone, it had more followers than our Instagram pages individually. And then on invasion day, we did a post. We like, we were thinking about this post. Like we didn't, we tried not to make them like very specific to like events and we tried to like if we could do something for an something that was said that was relevant would do it but we wouldn't go out of our way but this one we kind of wanted to and we thought about all these different ways we should educate people about what all the events leading up to like the first fleet and all of that sort of stuff would contribute to you know the conversation around invasion and australia day and then in the end we were just like you know what i think it'd be really interesting to just do like the language group map but add in all the nations that were pre-European colonisation of the Pacific. And so, like, we made a map that had all the Iwis in New Zealand, all the nations in, like, like Fiji and, like, up into, like, Asia. And so it was a really interesting map that sort of, like, geopolitically... Because the PM, for instance, is a good example, would think of us Australia as being isolated, but yet we have equally as many people in our geographical region as Europe has in its geographical region. And so, like, we actually aren't isolated. It's exactly the same. But it's about positioning, about thinking about what ethnicity is here. So, like, Europeans will feel isolated from other Europeans, but if you're not European, you're, like, completely surrounded by people. And, you know, we have something like, I'm not sure the exact figure, but we have, like, a billion people in our region the same as Europe has in their region. So we're not isolated in any way. So we, what we wanted to do was like reposition the understanding of nations and that we are like essentially in this place. And it, and it did it perfectly. And, you know, with a few follows from um, like Celeste Barber and who else was there? There was Benjamin Law, shared it around. We had like 15,000 followers. It was like crazy, you know, like it's beyond. Now we've got a book deal. So it was kind of, an amazing little collaboration and neither of us live in the same place and we just did it all over social media. So it was, it's a very interesting thing that I never really thought I would undertake. It just happened naturally based on a few like heightened emotions and, you know, some tools on social media. So it was kind of cool. I think we're all benefiting from your great conversations that you and Matt are able to have online and via, you know, the interwebs and, and particularly during this time when we've been grounded in place. But I'm interested in not only that that project, but we were talking a little bit about your um, Ghana language group here in South Australia that uh, you've been able to be a part of, even though you've been in ACT. And some of the affordances of the pandemic has been that that's been opened up to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll speak about it briefly. It's like it's it's not art related, but it's interesting, I think. Well, there's two things. So I've been living in the ACT for four years and I've been doing Ghana language for like 10 years, roughly. And it's been a really interesting thing. So I've got to a level with my language that I can contribute to cultural revival and language practices and as a researcher, it's been really interesting, but I was always like, why am I not in any of the Ghana language stuff? And I was always like, oh, this is a bit strange um, because I'd still get emails and stuff about asking for like bits of research that I'd done or if I knew a certain fact. And I found it really odd. And then just after the, I think it was like April or last year, 
when the pandemic struck, all of a sudden I got an email and they're like, you want to be on the language group? We're doing Zooms. And I was like, yeah, sure. It's like, we would have asked you earlier, but we normally meet in person and you're interstate. So, but now, cause we're all meeting up on Zoom, you can like contribute. And so it was this really weird thing where like, you know, like as a Ghana person, as a local indigenous person, it's like, everything's very local. And so when you step outside of that language group area, you're essentially away from that territory. There's nothing really you can contribute unless you're doing it over internet, which is a very new technology. You know, like 30 years ago, you wouldn't have been up like that. It would have just been that you're an Aboriginal person living on somebody else's land. And so like, it just kind of opened it up in a really, really weird way. Um, a whole kind of other thing that I can contribute to. So like, it's been quite a funny um, experience because the majority of the stuff that I'm engaging with on a daily thing in research or art making is about my Ghana heritage, but I'm living somebody somewhere else in somebody else's country. And so, yeah, being able to sort of like, it's weird because like I was recently told that I wasn't South Australian because I've been living too far away. And it's like, if you're indigenous to a place, how can you not be? And in my mind, I'm always thinking about South Australia, even if I'm not there. So it's like a really weird thing to be told I'm not South Australian when like the vast majority of my life has contributed to this, this territory um, that I don't live in. And so, and because of the internet, I am now just like there all the time, even though I'm not physically there. So it's very odd. It's very odd. And I think it's... Um, like this technology's been here, but I think COVID has like prompted people to use these platforms like we are now, like Zoom. Like I never heard of Zoom before the pandemic. Like that's kind of where it was at for me. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I and in the conversation just before, a few of the artists were reflecting on perhaps collaborating always in a room with people and then transitioning from maybe trying to figure out how we might collaborate online and in new ways that we haven't tried before and then and how quickly that's become normalized and I'm going to throw to Claire now who's um, curating this incredible festival with artists responding very specifically to a site which they have been prevented from visiting for most of the development time and that has led to incredibly interesting and rich conversations around what is collaboration and how does that work site specifically and and what how does those how do those relationships develop and and how does that work? Because you are such a huge team that run KCAT, can't you try and um, I'd love for you to sort of unpack some of these ideas around collaboration and, and being in place. Great. Well, thanks, Amber. Um, I'd also like to just begin by acknowledging um, and extending my appreciation to the traditional custodians of the lands and waterways on which Kitan Contemporary Art Triennial takes place, which is the Tangarung and the Jarjarung peoples of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to leaders and elders, past, present and emerging, and I extend this respect to all First Nations people. So yes, it's been quite an interesting journey for us for the kind of contemporary art triennial, which was begun in 2016, essentially as it was co-founded by a group of 10 arts professionals who are living and working in the town of the regional central Victorian town of Kyneton and wanting to maximise our skills to bring excellent contemporary art to our hometown and also to you know, provide artists and also the arts professionals living regionally with opportunities to you know, develop their skills, but also to create opportunities for artists to make new work in new contexts in across the town of Kyneton. So we invited in 2016, 11 artists to make new work for the Kyneton Contemporary Art Triennial in 2018, which was a really fabulous event. And then we planned from that moment on for the event to happen again in 2021. So we invited 
11 fabulous artists again to present, to make new work for the 2021 event back in 2019, just prior to everything changing dramatically. So the first event, um, artists were able to come and do residencies in Kyneton, spend time with the community, with the environment, with the town, and really navigate their way through the town in different ways and find different things that interested them, different um, people in the community they connected with and make these really fabulous projects that you know highlighted different aspects of the town but also were very site specific to the sites that they'd chosen and we worked with the community to get permission to present art in. So we had hoped that would happen again for the artists and we had um, received additional funding into what we'd been able to um, secure for the first event in order to fly artists to Kyneton. So we you know, invited artists from right across Australia, we had artists from Queensland and Western Australia, New South Wales, South Australia, but the travel restrictions to Victoria started to create this space where we'd have to think about how we could enable the artists to engage with the town without actually physically being here. So even artists who are based in Melbourne, they've had on and off restrictions in able to um, even just drive 50 minutes down the freeway to be in Kyneton. So it's also about building that collaborative relationship between the 10 committee members. So the Kind Contemporary Inc. is the um, our arts collective that we're all volunteers that come together. There's 10 of us that then um, work with 11 artists. So it's um, also about networking between the arts community in Kyneton and across Australia and building those networks and connections to foster um, collaboration between artists and arts professionals, but then also then as an extension with our community around us in Kyneton. So it was about, we've, I guess we've been navigating through this since 2019 of building that relationship between the committee and the artists and really supporting them in whatever ways they wanted to engage in with the town. So it also has been an interesting process for the artists too. And um, we hope to run the event in March, 2021. So earlier this year, and then we've had to, um, we decided at that time that it wasn't going to um, be possible in the way that we'd hoped for it to be run at that time. So we then decided that October, 2021 would be a good time. Um, and just in the lead up to October, 2021, which was um, still, Victoria was still very much in lockdown, um, decided that wasn't going to work either. So we decided to move it to March, 2022. So that whole process also has been very much in collaboration with the artists that are participating in the project. Everybody in the committee and in the artists that are working with us um, have had all sorts of different things they've had to navigate through this time. We've been working together for two and a half years and there's been a whole lot of life changes and um, obviously the pandemic, but also just life and um, family and work and all these things that have changed and shift. So it's about being really open and holding things very lightly um, with the push and pull of life and how we can continue to collaborate in that space together. And I, I mean, if anyone hasn't checked out Front Train, it's an incredibly, I think it's one of the best examples of a site-specific festival where the town really becomes a, a key collaborator in all of the works in terms of the place, but also the existing community. And it's really well integrated. And I have to say, Claire, that Titan has already had a little shout out today with Anna Freeman in the previous session um, for her up and coming show at the Stockroom. So you're very present here with us, your community there. And I'm interested in this, what you were starting to talk about, this sort of more, this awareness of a, a whole person, the holistic idea of what a person is, um, which has become really clear through these times, even 
many of us are zooming from our homes and have our families and pets running in and out of the screens and um, through collaboration, we're often, you know, more aware of the friends and the collaborators and, and them as a whole person. But now that collaborative sort of approach to thinking of a whole person is becoming much more forward in the way we work with people. Um, Sima, I was wondering if you could sort of unpack some of that idea of this fuller person um, that we're now collaborating with and how maybe hybrid models um, lead to more accessibility, but also a greater sense of who you're working with and, and who we're seeing when we do see the people and the individuals and the artists. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting working in a supported studio and social enterprise organisation like Arts Project because the artists are there working on site normally, you know, six days of the week. So we are already as staff and creatives that work alongside these artists. We're already in a privileged position seeing creative processes unfold before our eyes and our lives inevitably get completely enmeshed in the lives of the artists in the studio. You know, when COVID hit though, the whole idea of not being able to hug someone or not being able to be on site or not being able to have those in-person peer-to-peer was quite shattering for the artists and for the staff because the community that is Arts Project like many supported studios, is first and foremost a safe space to come together and be around like-minded individuals. What surprised us, though, was moving virtually that we were able, particularly in 2020, to engage um, 90 out of 150 artists at that point on Zoom and artists who we never would have thought could have engaged did and some of our artists were living their best lives I mean you know um some were living their worst lives but I think also for people with a range of needs and access requirements and all of that sort of thing it sort of did open things up I mean when we were talking when I was talking with my colleagues Jennifer Gilbert and Lisa Slominski in the UK about starting the international platform I mean, international travel for a lot of artists with intellectual disability, particularly if there's a range of other, you know, mental health or access needs, isn't always possible. Whereas now we can have these digital residencies with artists, um, with international curators. So, for example, we have a collaboration on the cards at the moment with one of us project artists, Monica Lazari, um, who had her solo show at Arts Project interrupted twice because of COVID, able to engage with a top collector in the UK by the name of um, Valeria Napoleoni, who started collecting artwork by female artists in the UK from the 19, 1990s onwards or 1960s onwards, I've forgotten, but started this collection of artwork by female artists in the UK because they weren't being represented or visible. And so she's, we've connected them through three time zones. She moves between the UK, New York and Paris, I think. And Monica and myself here in Melbourne, you know, strange time zones trying to link everyone up. But the idea that an artist from Arts Project in Melbourne can be linking with this top curator, with this massive collection that's been in every, you know, 
magazine or whatever, but is also a values-driven, you know, she started that collection out of a need and a gap in the market that's equally for us a need and the gap in the market to also represent female artists and have female role models for our artists to, you know, and they're, they're connecting online. I mean, it's not without its challenges to make that happen and all of the collaboration that happens with Art at Owl is with my UK colleagues in their morning, in their work time, and it's always in the evening my time. So we've been catching up on Zoom at least once a week um, since May last year, and that can be up to three or four times a week if we have various projects on the go. So we also have a UK artist, Billy Mann, who's on our steering group. So we have two steering groups for Art at Owl of artists that identify as having an intellectual disability or neurodiverse or learning disabled, depending on which cultural context you're coming from. And um, Billy Mann is now collaborating with the wonderful team out at Monash University Museum of Art on a curating collections project. So they're deep diving uh, and, um, you know, we're able to introduce artists to international collections and where there's a generosity of spirit to for those you know Charlotte Day's team at Mama to also want to get to know more about what it's like to collaborate with artists who are neurodiverse and so there's all these sort of connections and projects that we never would have imagined 18 months ago doing or even being possible and now on the table and now fully immersive and underway and, you know, while it all exists online and we'll do online publications and we record those meetings either for further reference for the artists to go back to and see what the conversations were about or they might be educational tools or they might become part of the installations. Um, in the end, it exists digitally, but we're also hoping that will enable in real life connections uh, down the track. But it's certainly, I think, in a lot of conversations I've had with people from different aspects of the dis of different disability communities, the capacity for collaboration and for just cross-cultural sharing and negotiating different ideas has just, I mean, it's just huge now. So we hope that will continue into the future alongside whatever happens in real life that there is sort of a dual dual creative systems sort of um, operating in synergy alongside each other oh absolutely um i think one of the incredible benefits of, of the types of hybrid models that you're talking about is that these relationships sort of get the time and space and frameworks in order to unravel in ways that are you know similar to a natural um way that a, a relationship does tend to unravel my brain is going in a million directions there's such a lot of rich sort of um ideas coming out so i just wanted to remind everyone that there will be a time for questions so grab on to anything debbie will give us a little um reminder at a point that if you do have any questions that pop up please keep them in the back of your mind or jot them down in the chat box. But I was thinking a lot about time um, and relationships uh, when you were talking, Sim. And obviously, Claire, you were talking about the artists having this long-term relationship with the town and the place where they're going to be exhibiting work. And, and James, you were talking about this relationship with Matt that's sort of unfolded. And I know that you work with your partner, Beck, which is also another collaboration on not only a child, but on lots of other work that you guys are unfolding and that unravels. Um, in these ways that collaboration and relationships do. 
And Claire is wondering if you, and um, you know, Hannah Tai just had an outcome in Kaiten outside of the festival sort of brackets. But I'm, I'm thinking about how maybe momentum and time and these sort of relationship and the push and pull between how things unfold naturally and how they have to unfold for outcomes or for collectors or for exhibitions um, or festivals, um, how these the relationship between time and, and um, relationships takes place um, when we're working collaboratively um, in place and, and online in, in both the hybrid ways that you guys have been collaborating. Yeah, thanks, Amber. Um, I think something we really learned from the first event that we ran in 2018 was that it was all about the relationship that was built all the way along the project process. So it's there's so much emphasis on the outcome and the final exhibition or the final event or this sort of moment in time. In terms of KCAT, that's a nine-day event across the whole town of Kyneton. It's a fairly intense time and it's really exciting and there's you know, amazing artworks right across the town and people are coming to visit and see those artworks and there's lots of great um, conversations and events and things happening. But it's also about that relationship that both we're building with the artists that we're working with, but also what we're building together as a collective of 10 arts professionals working together and also what we're building with the town that we live in as well. So it's these layers of relationships and I think of you as a project manager um, and a curator of your focusing entirely on that end product and it's sort of like a giant to-do list you can get really caught up and inundated with a lot of that logistics and sort of production mode and if you don't sort of step back and you know focus on those really beautiful relationships that are being built or the nuances of you know happen chance and serendipity that happen along the way um, there's so much joy and beauty in that too I think and the hardship of working through a project together and the kind of intensity of that relationship can, or that, that can build in a relationship building on a project over such a long period of time. And also just be really mindful of people's whole selves, as you mentioned before, Amber, and the sort of changing, you know, context in which they're working. You know, a lot of the artists have had a lot of projects this year and last year um, cancelled and shifted and changed. And so I think in thinking also about whether we would present the fuller KCAT event um, in October. And we did a lot of modeling around, do we run the event online? Do we run parts of it online and parts of it in person? Do we run, do we hold off and hold the whole event um, you know, in town in this embedded context of Kyneton? And it was about talking about what our values are, what's the sort of essence of the project and what was so dynamic about the first event in 2018 was people being together and conversations happening and interfacing between the collective and the artists and the community and those that visited the town and this, you know, kind of physical context. And you, you can create some of that online. And we definitely talked about ways that we could um, do some of these things online, but essentially, um, a lot of the artists really felt like they wanted people to be audience, to be present with their work and to have that physical interaction or engagement. Um, and there's ways to then, you know, create online ways to, or digital ways to access that too. But there's also that specialness of being in person with an artwork. So in order to help that to happen, we decided we would postpone till March next year. Um, but we were able to present one project, which is Hannah Tye's project. Um, which she had worked in collaboration with um, the Polyphonics Choir, which is a local choir, um, and the conductor is Polly Christie. And Hannah had been able to come to Kyneton in little pockets throughout the between lockdowns because she's based in Melbourne um, and had been able to spend time in Kyneton um, and had 
uh, been quite interested and engaged in the river walk along the Borgham Campaspe River and had found a spot there where, which is under the under a bridge. Um, and also the scout hall at the front, Hannah works a lot with, um, has worked in the past with flags and made this beautiful um, installation of a garden, a native garden, flags and a sound piece that she worked in collaboration with the Polyphonics Choir. And so they were able to maintain that relationship as well and to postpone and shift and change and Polly and Hannah were able to compose that piece together and then to record with the choir um, with Hannah in Melbourne and um, Jed Palmer, who's a sound artist in Kyneton with the choir or with Marcelon the first time they met in about 18 months um, to make this really stunning sound piece, which can be accessed on our website still. The list of artists on that is, is it's crazy to think that that could have happened in, in these times that there are these moments where the stars line up and, and everyone can be together for these strange moments. And, or maybe not, and, and that has these uh, flow and effects that happen in strange and unique ways. What an incredible project. I can't wait to hear it online. James, I was interested um, listening to Claire speaking about the value of both being um, online, uh, being online and having the great benefits of being able to continue communicating through this time, but also the things that we just can't miss out on, like an, a live audience coming through the town and experiencing work firsthand, which we've heard in the previous conversation as well, that there's really nothing better than that. And there's, we know that we can't replace it, but there are these other things we can do through hybrid models. And I'm interested in, obviously, Unmonumental is a completely online um, platform, but it has had an incredibly large reach. And maybe it's, it's because of some of these direct behavioural changes that have happened through the pandemic. And I was wondering if you could sort of speak to some of the benefits of having this untethered um, project um, that I think Sim will probably relate to with Art of Tao, but, um, but what it is to sort of reach into the lives of people without, you know, carrying things across borders or, or the baggage of what is an, um, an in real life experience. No, it's an interesting project. I mean, Instagram, I guess, is a medium, right? Like it's kind of, it's amazing. Like all, I remember first coming across it when I was doing a kind of workshop in the US and they like paid to have all these like structures made to kind of like you know advertise to photographers because it is like a photography you know like we think about it every day as just a form of social media that has a visual um component but it was designed for photographers it's really kind of um interesting that it's been so like adopted by everybody who works within a visual field and and not as well. Like I've got a, most of my families on Instagram. None of them are artists. It's kind of amazing thing. So you do have access to people you wouldn't normally have just like you know behind their screen. It's like you just have yeah. You're in people's lives all the time. It can be challenging though. Like find it hard to shut off between my interest of art and 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 work because I love art. So it's both my passion and my career. It's really hard to switch off and, you know, like I'm starting to think about taking like breaks, like big, large breaks of like a month or two months over the Christmas break just to, to, to not engage with social media. But it's like it's an incredible platform and if you understand all its little mechanisms and tricks, like it can be really like you've got a lot of options of things you can do. I mean, like tries to mimic things like TikTok so you can do all these like weird little face things and stuff and it's got all like its emojis and all of those sorts of things 
But if you really understand it, you've got like full control. And I'm not as savvy as say Matt is. So Matt actually runs the the platform for Unmonumental. And he like knows the statistics, what time of day to post, like all these things that I would be like, that's too manipulative for me. But like, you know, I mean, I don't think Matt is. He just understands how it works. And, you know, like we'll do it here because people will be not engaged at work or like, you know, do it now because this will be when, you know, most people are commuting. And so like, he just knows when to drop a post and think about things. So like, you can have like full control I mean, the idea isn't to manipulate people, it's to give them the information at the best time available to receive that information, I think. And to use it to your full ability, it's like a small painting, big painting, you know, like you can control it, you know how to get people to engage. You know, like I wish I had a better understanding because there are some amazing like online technologies. A project I did was with Samstag where we had an online component, a few QR codes and like, QR codes are not popular, like, at all two years ago, but they are now. But, like, we've, we don't think about them. We thought them as being something really kitschy, but we have to legally use them when we go into shops. So, like, it's something that's now part of our life. Our phone camera just picks them up straight into whatever um, website it wants to link us to. So there are amazing technologies available to diversify our practice, which means we can bring in, you know, like from a two-dimensional visual image, we can now be listening to song, video, and other kind of sound and visual media that we didn't have available. We can be linked to maps or other things, or, you know, like it could link you to something to order or buy, you know. So I think now as like artists, we have so much access to people, like right in the spot, um, and people have so much access to our art through having this like technology just like readily available through your like hand but i think if you were to go two years prior to covid like these technologies were just really hard to get people to engage with like i had that i did qr codes like about three years ago at ace open and like no one really engaged with them because they didn't know how to use them but like i reckon if i did it now the engagement would be twice as much i mean i don't have any I haven't done a QR code um, since Samstag, but and it went through their website, so I don't have the data. But it's really interesting to think about, you know, like we have this kind of virtual platform, which is like so abstract, but so kind of amazing. Like it's kind of like entering the minds of others, you know, like it's pretty incredible. Some it's stuff I want to use more. Yeah. I think we've all begun using technology in ways and I've had to learn upskill very quickly in many technological um, ways to access practice and share practice. And, and like you said, a collaboration is often a tool for us to diversify our practice mm -hmm. and also to have access to epic skills that someone else has that maybe extends your practice in, in new ways and in new yeah. forms. I'll add one other thing. We are producing a book for Unmonumental, which is like the physical, you know, like we want the physical art, we want the physical thing. And books are kind of interesting because they are like valid but redundant. Like they're kind of in this weird space at the moment. I don't think they're redundant, but, you know, like some people will say that. But like it's going to have a QR code to all the referencing so it doesn't bulk the book up. So like it's just, it's such an incredible time where like those two things are just like, you wouldn't think about putting a QR code pre-COVID, but you do now. And, you know, people did. I've got a book um, from Mona that has a QR code, but I never bothered to use the links. Like, it's just kind of a bit weird, but I probably would now. 
you know, like even my behaviors changed and I was pretty open to these ideas prior. So, yeah. And in terms of you and Matt working together, do you think that there's a loss that happens with the mostly online sort of experience that you've had in the last few years? Is there a loss to that? I mean, you guys knew each other in person, in real life and in form before that, but, but is there anything that's missing for you? No, I don't think so. I think like me and Matt just really kind of communicate around these projects and on, on like I, the thing is like I'm in the ACT I only have a few friends here because it's been a weird couple of years to really engage with the community and you know like I have made amazing friends here I love the ACT and it's just kind of but like the majority of my friends are interstate so like I just pick up the phone now I don't even think about it and the richer conversations come because we're not like meeting in person at exhibitions drinking or like, you know, after the part, like go to the pub or something, we have those conversations. But I feel like some stuff gets lost in the crowd, you know, like there's people, you can't really get personal with somebody, but over the phone you can, because you just have that one person to like flesh out stuff. And I think that my, like strangely, I feel like my friendships are richer and those collaborations are richer because you just tend to not have tons of people. And I'm a socialite, so I love, like you know I love being social but like actually like having an individual just to speak to just one is like a really kind of nice thing you know being able to hear like everything that that person's doing for an hour or two is great you know like opposed to just like an opening where you're just talking to masses and masses of people so like I think that like strangely like I don't know like I don't really want to kind of find me and Matt's relationship but like I think it's like it's more full I think with these kind of this kind of new kind of way that we engage like it's an extra way we engage like we still meet up in families when we're allowed to and sim i'm sure you have um lots to add in this in this vein i can see you nodding away in your little box there yeah look i think now i mean in nothing more replace in real life and seeing art in person and collaborating in person but i think particularly the capacity for arts project to um, in the past 18 months, we've gone from thinking, and you know, we, we have thought internationally and nationally, of course, but we, by introducing new collaborations on scales that we've never, well, we thought about, but they might have still been five years off and we've managed to just instigate it now and it's in um, just rapidly evolving and rapidly we're being rapidly challenged, I guess, in our own way of thinking. So by collaborating internationally, not just on a project, you know, when Katrina Schwartz did come and say, do you want to do something that brings arts project artists to the UK? Well, yes, but another exhibition just didn't seem, I don't know, like there's just so many exhibitions. So, you know, doing something that's longer term has more meaningful in-depth engagement that acknowledges that, um, you know, things are changing rapidly. There's capacity to be much more open, much more inclusive, hear many more voices. For those engagements to be really meaningful, it was the only option for us and for my collaborators in the UK was to do something that would grow and has the capacity to live on for, you know, five, 10 years, whatever that's going to be, and raise the profile of artist voices who really aren't always heard. I mean, I think when I think about First Nations artists and creatives and people and stories, there are similar parallels to those 
with an intellectual disability in the sense that you know, there are, as I'm learning from one of our Artists at Arts Project, through collaborations she's currently participating in, there's whole generations of people who, you know, their whole histories are lost because people with intellectual disability were institutionalised, you know, 40 years ago, up to 40 years ago. And so there's whole histories there that need to be told and woven into the narratives of our major institutions. And yet people still aren't writing about their the artist's work. So, um, you know, we've seen a niche to really create the capacity to create best models, to create best um, accessibility practices, which I have to say the Art at Owl site now surpasses the Arts Project Mothership site, but it was also free enough because it was a curatorial project to experiment without going through you know the red tape and checks and balances so we've been able to just go ahead and uh UK collaborators have really pushed me you know we've pushed each other hard there's been you know tears and just trying to find a way to be able to communicate what we wanted to communicate and respect all the nuanced communities um and individuals and how do you use language do you use BSL or Auslan or when we step it out to Europe, you know, one of our artists said, are you also going to have a version of your site in German and French? And it's just very interesting because I think accessibility and inclusion and collaboration and cross-cultural, you know, conversations are the only, this is where we're headed. And so we've got to find different access points for people and be able to support that within an arts ecology in ways that people see themselves reflected and that it's not just this moment in time during COVID or just post-COVID that this happens, that this is actually like real leadership change that is, is going to happen and that we take these models that we're each working on because I find these really fascinating and incredible mo like collective models um, that we're talking about today. But then how do we take that and really push the institutions, you know, and push the other areas of the community into thinking more inclusively, you know? So, yeah, it's really even also joining Collingwood Yards and that community you know, everything at the forefront of mind is about access and community and who aren't we hearing from? How can we include them more? And I don't know, it's a very exciting time, I think, to be creating new ideas and generating new ideas and then pushing that back up to state government and federal government levels to sort of say there are different ways to think about things and to invest in that's going to be sustainable and create real really significant cultural change thank you I, I mean there you go there's some epic actions and um the, as the result of collaboration and what that's able to sort of unravel and and rebuild and, and restructure um and what we can take away from the the lessons that we learn along the way but just acknowledging that lots of these things are really long term that they're like things that will take a long time to develop and build and implement much is you know when we're working collaboratively and, and building relationships it's not a fast fix or it's not something that we can begin and kind of kickstart and and have a really rich instantaneous sort of happening that they are these things that unfold and organically grow and, and take time and commitment and dedication to sort of foster and it sounds like in each of these projects have different approaches 
and different commitments and different timeframes to, to those sorts of developments of relationships and just understanding that nothing we do in is in, is in isolation, right? Lots of these projects are collaborative in ways that we don't even know about. And I'm interested in, I, I mean, we could have James talking about sabbaticals and taking time off. We could have a whole other panel discussion about what rest is and how that works alongside collaboration and relationships um, and, and how that works when we're like having the push and pull between what is a um, personal ambition and what's a collective ambition and, and these kinds of, you know, priorities that we're sort of all juggling with within all of these projects. Um, I would love Claire to sort of end on that sort of push and pull between what is a 10 person mammoth group of people working together um, and, and, and a personal maybe uh, reflection on working locally in a town full of so many creative people. Yeah, I guess the amazing thing about the Kyneton Contemporary Collective is that there are, each of us has immense skill and experience of working in the arts and each of us has really amazing skills to bring to that mix. And so we've, um, as we've, evolved as a collective we've really seen how um, particular people's skills have really come to the fore and running the first event that was really evident um, and so we've tried to sort of shape roles and tasks and had we've created subcommittees within our collective to kind of focus on certain areas that people have real strength in um, but then also always bringing things back to the fuller collective so We've moved to a platform called Slack, which is a communication tool that um, is quite handy and allows us to sort of um, have particular conversations about specific areas. Um, and we've also working with a project producer for each artist. So the collective is um, working directly with one of the artists, the 11 artists that we've invited to be making new work for um, KCAT. And so that also enables that sort of focused relationship, but then bring it back to the collective as well and then being able to be mindful of where each of those artists is at um, in this personal relationship with the producer that's also within the collective um, so I guess it's kind of um, like breaking it down into chunks as opposed to trying to think about this giant you know big thing it's kind of bringing it back to what people are really great at and what they've got time to commit to as well and it's about being really honest about what time people have got to commit to things um, amongst everything else that they're juggling and working on. I mean, we're all volunteers in the KCAT collective. So we each have our own, um, you know, paid work and practices and families and other responsibilities that we're, um, you know, giving time to as well. And, and the same with the artists. And so we've been absolutely honoured by the fact that particularly the KCAT 2021 artists have stuck with us the whole time with three postponements of the event. Um, and just that connection and maintaining that relationship and you know making opportunities to connect but then also not expecting all the artists to connect if they're not in that space or if they've got other things happening um, in their lives as well and working across time zones it's also been really tricky to connect with the wider Kyneton community given that we've all been in lockdown but also like we live in a small town we're all shopping at the same supermarket or we're all you know in the same zone but we're also in our own houses it's been this strange sort of time of a lot of the building of connections with community for um, asking to utilise venues or, um, you know, sponsorships or those kind of things locally would normally happen incidentally when you're out and about, um, you know, in the town. And so those sort of things have had to be really um, much more sort of decided and making efforts to, but I guess just about creating opportunities for connection. And we've been trying to, when we are not able to be together in person, we've, um, switch to online and then we are, are able to be in person we've tried to make opportunities to be connected in person so we'll shift our meetings from zoom to someone's lounge room um, and then back to zoom again and then 
you know, back to someone's lounge room or and creating opportunities in those moments between lockdowns to try and get together and connect in all different ways. So, yeah, I guess that that being flexible and seeing this as a long term evolving process, maximising skills. Thank you so much, Claire. I think that's probably a good point um, to then throw out two questions to the audience. I haven't seen any come through in the chats yet, so I might start by asking one and encourage people to bring this in. You've kind of, to be honest, really just answered this question, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, all of you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, the sustainability of yourself and your community. And I think a big part of being a curator or a project manager or even a community member is duty of care. So I'd be really interested to hear you know, that's such an amplified thing in the last 18 months in particular. I wonder if any of you are, um, feel comfortable to kind of unpack, especially, I, I guess I'm looking at you, Sim, because not only are you nodding, but I'm acknowledging that, you know, you have 150 artists, arts projects, you have, I think it's 25 staff, which is no small feat, like that's quite incredible. And I wonder if you would mind kind of... I think that's just a really important point. I think what we've learned the most, I mean, we push pretty hard I think you can tell we sort of do push pretty hard but also we factor in time and working with people remotely or people with disability or a range of needs um, or invisible disability as one of our artists Eden Mentor has sort of been describing you don't always know what's simmering beneath the surface and I think what the time now has learned is that things may not go according to plan but where that's okay you know we can make adjustments and where we can and be kind to ourselves and be supportive but things have definitely amplified you know there's a lot of mental health that we're factoring you know having to factor in and be considerate of and mindful of and if things don't pull off we don't I certainly try not to beat ourselves up about it it's just we have very honest conversations about that and you know you could spend an hour on the phone to an artist and a parent and be talking through particular issues that have come up but also saying that that's it's okay to have issues and to you know it is amplified and it's harder and it's exhausting in a lot of ways but also it's highly energizing and we're learning a lot about each other and you know, our capacity to operate differently with people. And, you know, you hope out of that, that you're creating safe spaces for artists and your peer, other creative peers, just to be able to have those honest discussions and really talk through, you know, what your limitations are. You know, we're even Arts Projects working on a collaboration with West Space at the moment and curator Sophia Kai. And we've had to have a lot of conversations over the past months about what our capacity is, what's the capacity of our artists to be able to engage and deliver. And it's really changed the way that we approach working together. And I can't help but always fall back on now sort of quite feminist principles around reciprocity and relationships and, you know, the care. It's a lot of care now has to be factored in, I think, when you're collaborating, but also coming out of COVID, just, yeah, respecting that people are pretty fragile and um, making the adjustments that need to be made and then putting it as an arts administrator and curator, then making the case to whoever's 
funding those projects to be supportive, which I've found, I don't know about everyone else, that there is a lot of support and goodwill out there. And that's been, you hope that that will continue. Thanks, Sim. James or Claire, do you have anything further to add? Um, yeah. yeah. has um, said as much as they hate Zoom times, they've found that it's opened many doors that weren't always in, which we've sort of talked about a lot through this chat in lots of different ways. Incorporating online participation in addition to in-person participation as for audiences and viewers or as collaborators could be an important accessibility tool. Agreed. Everyone loves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to answer that question. Um, we've had a bit of extra time given that we've postponed the event um, a couple of times. And something that we've introduced um, is our digital online program. So that's interviews with artists and opportunities for insights into their studio practice. And it kind of gives a richer experience for audiences too to understand the process behind the artists making their work, some of the ideas they're thinking about. Um, it's also a way to engage new audiences for us. We're in a small regional community and, you know, not everyone will be able to come and physically see the work. So we're looking at lots of different ways that we can engage broader audiences. We've invited artists from across Australia. So we also want to invite audiences as well and ways that we can um, engage those audiences in a really rich way through the online platform and, you know, having really nice documentation of the artworks that are on display but also having, we found from our 2018 event, we had a post-event survey and, you know, a solid proportion of people that engaged with the event didn't actually visit in person. So we were also really um, encouraged by that and thinking about ways that we could create this experience for people to engage with the event but not be here also creates a whole lot of complexity around, you know, different parts of access and how you, yeah, put things online but also keep things in context-specific, yeah. Definitely creates more audiences for um, artists as well in their work. I was just going to add to what Claire said. It also raises, I think, an issue in accessing the tools you need to create more access because there's such high demands on that now that even in Melbourne, I don't know what it's like in the ACT or South Australia, but Arts Project made a commitment to work with a peak organisation in Victoria to do tactile tours and, and outsource a whole raft of sort of accessibility measures. And we weren't able to, we actually weren't able to access those services because they were so busy. And also they were busy preparing for events that were then cancelled, like Rising in Melbourne. And so all their time was taken up with much, much larger organisations and they couldn't support us. But then that opened up other opportunities to work with artists like Ross Coulter, who is now doing 3D tours where we can sort of create virtual spaces for artists to engage or for, yeah, just different access points. But there's a lot of pressure on, I think, services that provide access opportunities at the moment, um, yeah, to sort of get that um, yeah, that connection with those services built in, but it certainly made us think a lot more about how to create those various access points for different people in the community. Yeah, I've um, interestingly found Zoom an amazing kind of, like for artist talks, I mean, here's an example of it, but, you know, like we're mostly all in Australia as far as I'm aware, but I've had a lot more international shows in the last, you know, year and a half, two years, just based on like, you know, people like, oh, yeah, we'll get you into a show and then you just do all the conversations with the curators online. Then it's like, well, we're not going to fly you over, but we'll do an artist talk. You just have to get up at this time and do this. And it's like, and it works so well. And, you know, it also means that 
the Australian audience who can't be overseas can have access to that as well. So it's been a really amazing, I don't know, like it's it's kind of special, I think, in some way, because it's like I've got a show coming up next year in the States at George Eastman House and like it's just been all correspondence it's all been Zoom conversations and then like the idea of me going to the US was never even thought of as part of their exhibition I was just like you're going to do an online tour and then it got down to the borders might open they were like would you like to come over I never really thought about it and it's like because it just seems absurd to fly over to give an artist talk when you can just do it over Zoom like it's it's cheaper, like, imagine the amount of pollution just to travel, just to see that, you know, like, it's kind of a bit more sustainable and more connected. So it's kind of, it is better, you know. So I think, um, yeah, Zoom's an amazing, like, way of connecting that hadn't been open before. I mean, there's other platforms, but I don't find them as, as good. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah, thinking about sustainability going forward as well, which arts has a lot of... Um, you know, pollution that comes from, you know, the install of an exhibition. Like, I think these platforms do give us a bit of a, a way to, to maybe move around, still having the freedom, but also like, um, you know, we don't have to travel as frequently as we once did, which, you know, in turn has pollution. So like it is, you know, there's all these other spin-off things that are really um, amazing in the connectedness of like having that platform. Either of you have any questions? For yourselves for each other throughout this conversation you'd like to to table sorry Sima, I was just nodding along with the but tina who's been joining us has just been saying that they've also been able to join in um talks and forums that they wouldn't have been able to join which i think lots of people have had that experience of of being able to be places that um were not accessible to them and i for one have also enjoyed being all around the world um at all different times I think lots of people have found that it's opened up doors that were previously not open to them, which is pretty exciting and one of the great affordances um, of these times. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think also going to James's point, there are opportunities that just wouldn't have happened, you know, um, that you've been sort of invited to participate in that just may not have occurred. And, um, yeah, very much enjoyed for... I mean, being part of things like this, not being able to travel to Adelaide just quite yet. But, you know, I think it's important that we do ensure that we keep these hybrid models moving forward. And I think also one of the benefits of the increased collaboration is this increased capacity to have sort of hive brains and hive minds that sort of bring I, I mean I really do love the way um Claire that you talk about how KCAT works I mean on a much smaller scale that's how Artitao works too where a hive brain everything goes out then comes back in and goes to through the artists that we're trying to support and back to the committee and that's how it sort of evolves and changes and I think um it's quite exciting to think about continuing to collaborate that way you know, nationally and internationally moving forward. I think we've definitely seen an uptake in much more collaborative modes of working, much more collaborative ways of approaching things. And with the collaboration, much more um, care-centered ways of working and, and holistic ways of working together, which is very exciting. And one of the things that I really hope will stay with, uh, as a part of, as we move through into a, a maybe more normal or 
out of this pandemic situation. Hopefully we can hold on to these, um, this way of working together and understanding each other and, and having much more um, gentle ideas around productivity and output and, and momentum that are much more sustainable, particularly within our industry. Thank you all so much for this conversation. It's been so rich. I feel like I'm processing not only the projects that you're all doing, but how you're navigating them and navigating them in this time, but also how you're going to navigate them going forward as well, because we'll obviously be living within this, um, with this pandemic for a long time, but the way that we live within it will, will shift greatly. And I think as borders are opening up a lot more, at the end of this year, we're going to really see how things are going to move and how we'll, we'll navigate that in future. Thank you for listening to the Revision podcast series recorded on Ghana Country. This series is brought to you by Guildhouse, our supporting partners and session speakers. Please head to our website guildhouse.org.au for more information on the series and our artistic collaborations with and professional development opportunities for Australian artists. Revision was developed with support from Australia Council for the Arts, the Day Family Foundation and Creative Partnerships Australia and has continued through the generous philanthropic support of the Guildhouse Creative Visionaries.